The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Welcome to Christmas week on the Brandon Peters Show, but I hope Hanukkah and uh, Ninja Day went well this year and that Kwanzaa goes off without a hitch next weekend. But today we'll be talking about a holiday, as a matter of fact, the last of such with Last Holiday from 2006. And joining me to do so is mainstay guest on the show, author Greg McGoon. Hello, I'm back. Happy holidays, Greg. You're, Happy holidays. You're the guest on... Christmas week this year. That's a present. So here we go. I'm excited mm-hmm. for this movie because you have never seen it. I have never um, seen it. I told you, and this is going to be, I have no idea what you thought yet. So I'm going to be so curious now. I've seen it twice now. So <sighs> boom. But first, before we get in the movie, there's something special from you uh, this year. A new book has come out. Yeah. Once Upon a Fairy Tale. And you want to tell us a little bit about this book? Sure. So it's Once Upon a Fairy Tale and Tail spelled T-A-I-L, like a dog's tail. And there's a reason for, well, just tail in general, but it's specific to a dog's tail for the fact that it is about a dog that somehow is transported into a big book of fairy tales and goes through all the stories, disrupting them changing and encountering classic and iconic fairy tale characters and changing their stories along the way. And this was such a fun story to write. It's been in my mind for quite some time and I didn't know how I wanted to do it. And then at some point it just all kind of clicked with me and now it's out in the world and I'm excited to share it. And he meets Little Red Riding Hood, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, Briar Rose, as I call her, and Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast. The characters from that so yeah as he like enters this uh, book of fairy tales you just have to kind of read the book to find out what happens i'm not going to give spoilers because there's not a lot <laughs> i mean like i don't want to tell too much because it's not like super mainstream yet and uh, i think part of the fun is discovering how the stories change um or what he does to actually change them but it's based on the grimm's fairy tales version of it oh, so no. it gets dark which, uh, no it just <laughs> It's not so much that it gets dark. It's more of I made sure that the I just made sure that the iconography was in like classic fairy tales as opposed to like using just Disney versions, which right. is copywritten. Mm-hmm. So I avoided that. Um, but I, I but that's why um, Briar Rose is called Briar Rose, because right. in that it is Briar Rose rather than Aurora, which there is versions in the past that used Aurora something. Um, I did a lot of research on fairy tales and I do have a fairy tale from 2015, mm-hmm. which was just translated into Greek um, and available for release in Greece at their very first LGBTQ uh, publishing house, Colorful Planet. So that's exciting to have a Greek translation of one of my books wow. available for sale. Um, and that features a transgender princess. Um, and that was in 2015. So fairy tales have always been 
a part of my work and I've thought about it and I've been working on a gay prince fairy tale for so long that now there's a ton of them out there. Um, so now I just have to make mine really good because it's not the first. Um, but yeah, so, but this new one is my dog, Oliver running through fairy tales. So check it out if you can available on Amazon paperback ebook. It's only $4.99. So you can't beat that. It is different than my other books because it's not a picture book. It is a kind of early oh, reader, okay. minimal chapter book, not too long, probably like a 25, 30 minute read, but easy to read great for young ones. And if you're familiar with even the Disney versions, you'll know what happens in these, with the exception of Sleeping Beauty, because in the Grimm's one, there is somebody at the spinning wheel, and that's important to my story. So uh-huh. you don't get that in the Disney version of Sleeping Beauty, but you do get it in the um, you do get it in the Grimm's version that there is an old woman at the spinning wheel. So that plays a role into it. But everything else you'll recognize in Disney because the parts that I needed, luckily, Disney took as well from Grimm's. Gotcha. So yeah. So yeah, that's that's the story. I'm very excited. Very excited about how the reception has been so far. And I am contemplating a, a follow-up one uh, where he encounters other fairy tale characters. I'm a little bit trickier because this one just kind of there was a lot of thought in this first one and it just kind oh, of yeah. follows the follows the the tale through the days because obviously we know when certain fairy tales happen like Sleeping Beauty, certain major events happen at sunset, Cinderella, certain things happen at midnight. So you kind of know there's certain points. So it lent itself to kind of follow along based on how those stories are structured. So, gotcha, um, gotcha. and uh Beauty and the Beast is the biggest change, so I won't say anything there, but it's a very like heartwarming, unexpected story there. And Cinderella has some fun humor into it as well. So yeah, I just I, I can't wait for more people to read it, hear thoughts. And um, I have a lot of plans and ideas for that to grow into something bigger too, if oh. you love it. And um, and there will be enamel pins available that are special to that book because the first Oliver book, I do have the enamel pins of baby Oliver and uh, of the cartoon version. And I do have a cartoon Oliver pin coming out for this new one. So yeah, it's, it's a whole thing and I hope to build it and grow it and continue sharing fairy tales and my dog. <laughs> awesome. Is uh, the enamel pins uh, look kind of like the art artwork on the cover and stuff? The enamel pin for the new book looks like a image. I posted from one of the promos, like, yeah, you'll just you'll it's Oliver with a book. So if you go to my okay, Instagram okay. and when this airs, there will be that image again, I'm sure. So uh, those won't be available until at least January, but they're coming and I'm excited. They're really cute. I saw proof. Um, so, yeah, two awesome. Oliver. pins. Um, I still love the baby Oliver pin from the first one, but this new one's great because it has a book. And in addition to this new book being about fairy tales and Oliver going into them, it also just is almost a celebration of storytelling and reading and the significance of books. So there's a lot of kind of new messages woven into it. So it kind of becomes a fairy tale in itself of um, with each story kind of mostly Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast really kind of sending a new message and having a new meaning to it without, without rewriting the story, like what we're seeing, because I think there's a major influx of, fairy tale stuff coming out we just had the amazon cinderella that happened Mm. um which i've seen way too many times and not for reasons of entertainment but just going how did this actually come to be um and there is um there is also the britney spears musical once upon a one more time 
um, which features that's in DC currently, and it should be transferring to Broadway. And that is the music of Britney Spears with all of your favorite Grimm's fairy tale characters, including the five in my book, as well as Ariel and a bunch of others. So those rewrite those, giving it more of a feminist boost. Um, my story, my story breaks it down, each story down to their core and basically simple problems with simple solutions. So why complicate things when you can have a puppy? So that's right. basically the, 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 the punch there is like, who needs a prince when you can have a puppy? Uh, so you kind of get a, get a feel for that without actually fully rewriting the characters. You're able to, by introducing Oliver into these fairy tales, you're able to, change the course of the story rather than change the core of the character, um, which is what I think is fun about my book. That's all I'll say without giving too many spoilers, but hopefully okay. that intrigued, intrigued listeners enough to check it out. And um, if then, if they have Kindle unlimited, it's free to read on that. So look at all the ways. Okay. <laughs> all the way, but you should have a physical copy of it. It's a- I know you should, it's just fun. And again, it's like paperback. It's little, it's, it's, it's one of these things that I feel like back in the day, I don't know if you remember like going to like drugstores and they used to have those like little like kids books that were like really like short chapter books that were mm-hmm. just like, not like a mainstream thing, but you could just get them to read. I feel like that's what this book kind of okay. has. And there's something kind of nice about that. It's just, it's cute. And there's a few little sketches inside that my incredible illustrator, um, Dave Reed, who did the cover art for this book and did all the artwork for the Oliver Gilmore, a Doxy's Diary book. Um, so he has some like rough sketches of Oliver within the book. So there's a little touch of artwork, but okay. in general, I'll let the words paint the picture for you in this book. <laughs> let your, grow with your audience. Right? Yeah. You don't need pictures anymore. It's true. And I mean, puppies and princesses are right. not my intention as an easy sell because I really like was excited to tell the story. It wasn't just me being like, what's marketable? It just was like, oh, I have this great idea. And wait, people love puppies and princesses. So idea came before I realized that like when I heard back from some teachers um, who I don't know who have like followed my work, they were like, mm-hmm. this is like the easiest sell to children. And I'm like, yeah, wasn't my first intention, but now that I think about it, great. If that works, then sell it all you want to the kids. <laughs> there you go. Next one will have ice cream, pumpies, princesses, ice cream. Actually, um, I do have a can. Like I think I mentioned it once, but I do have a candy story that one day will be released, and I think it will be the most personal thing I ever have. Well, yeah, but, you're the you're um, the candy, the son of yeah. the candy so, candy lady. Yeah. Yep. So that book. I'm just waiting to get that in the hands of a publisher who has the same vision for it as I do rather than um, use the publisher I have for my other books or independently publish it like I did with the new Oliver fairy tale. So excellent. Definitely look forward to that. I'll try to remember to put a link in the show notes for people listening currently right now to click and find that. Oh, that's true. Yeah. On Amazon. Yeah. On Amazon. I could use my associates thing where I will make a pretty, I'll make a steal off of it with 5%. (laughs) Off of 4.99. Off of 4.99. Boy, do those add up. I get those emails going, hey, guess what? You you didn't make enough this month. I'm like, yeah, okay. I thought I was going to be rolling in large when I started at Why So Blue and they gave me an Amazon associates thing. I'm like, oh, cool. And then nobody clicks it and orders. But sometimes someone would click it, order something random and I'd get, a pretty good, like someone ordered like a computer one time off of my thing, and I was like, "Oh crap, they forgot to get off of my." Hey, it's cool. That's good. Uh, but anyways, yes. What's about a fairy tale now? Available, definitely get it. 
I think I think that's it without giving too many spoilers. So if when I'm on a, when I'm back as a guest in January or whenever or February or whenever it may be, then I might give more spoilers if people haven't like read it yet. So. Okay, I'm gonna reveal this if you're not reading it. Yeah, yeah, he will reveal it. But that doesn't mean you need to hold on till the next time Greg's on. You need to read it so you'll read it so you're not getting the spoilers. Yeah. yeah. So he he's threatening to spoil if you don't get it now. Pretty much. There we go. Georgia Bird. You need to get me out of these comfy clothes. Has always done the safe thing. I suggest you get with the program. But that's oh my God. about to change. What? Remember you said life was too short to live the way I do? I quit. This January. We will laugh more. See the world. She's doing everything. I'm going base jumping tomorrow. Queen Latifah. I've been waiting my whole life to do something like this. Wait, I gotta use the bathroom. Last Holiday. Rated PG-13. Last Holiday, which is... Directed by Wayne Wang, uh, written by Jeffrey Price and Peter S. Seaman, uh, based on the 1950 British film by J.B. Priestley, starring Alec Guinness. And this one stars Queen Latifah, Ladies Love Cool James, Timothy Hutton, Giancarlo Esposito, Alicia Witt, and Gerard Depardieu. Upon learning of a terminal illness, a shy woman decides to sell all her possessions and live it up at a posh Central European hotel. Wayne Wang, of course, uh, he did the Joy Luck Club, Anywhere But Here, Made in Manhattan, and because of Winn-Dixie, which just feels like with that in hand, it's like, yeah, per- like this is up his alley. Uh, Price and Seaman, the writers, they wrote Who Framed Roger Rabbit? So, eternal gratefulness. They did two episodes of Tales from the Crypt, which means... Things on Roger Rabbit with Zemeckis worked out well. Uh, they, but then they, they also did the Wild Wild West, the Will Smith one, uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey, uh, and Shrek the Third. So, uh, yeah. And then uh, Seaman, he did write uh, by himself, did Doc Hollywood. Uh, the film was originally to be a John Candy film in the 90s, directed by Carl Reiner, but then Candy's death kind of put it on the shelf to where it was later dug up by Queen Latifah's management and convinced to come back so greg this is a this is a holiday movie i picked the holiday movie last year ironically it was the star wars holiday special to torture my <laughs> torture my friend jenny's who'd never seen it and it's like well it could be fun so she's like no that was not fun i was like no well i told you it wasn't fun but it's fun to talk about but not fun to watch but this one on the other hand is not of the ilk of star wars holiday special yeah. but you like i i it's not like i hadn't heard of this movie or didn't know this oh. movie existed but to hear like, oh, this movie's great or whatever, I'm like, oh crap, this is one of your favorites. So yeah. like, did you go see it in the theater when it first came out, or did this? I did see it in the theaters, and I watch it every year multiple times. I don't just, I mean, I really do watch it every December. It's a staple mm-hmm. for me. But I watch it in July or whenever I feel like it. If I just need a boost for life, I I will watch this movie. It's it's one of these rare movies that. It's outlandish, it's absurd, but it just feels like a hug and it just makes me want to appreciate life a little bit more. And you wouldn't expect it from this movie. And it's just, it's very bizarre. Like it's just, the the concept isn't bizarre. It is kind of got like a little bit of the farce aspect to it. 
and just the whole like kind of premise setting up about the terminal disease and just kind of the way it goes. And there will be spoilers in this one because you can't talk about this without spoilers. Oh, no. So my, my show uh, is a spoilerific yeah. affair. I'm going to be spoiling all of this movie, unlike my book. But yeah, it just um, Queen Latifah is perfection in this movie. You're, you just she comes onto that screen and you just want to be with her and be her friend and experience her joy and enthusiasm. And when she sees the ceiling of the Grand Poop Hotel, you see the ceiling of the Grand Poop Hotel (laughs) and you do want to cry. Um, So it just, she makes it believable. And the rest of the casting is great. Even LL Cool J, who is a very odd choice for this movie because, I mean, cool is in his name and there's nothing cool about his character, which is so funny. Yeah, that he, yeah, he's playing this kind of rather unassuming department store worker who's rather meek and just like kind of that nerdy shy guy in a sense. And you're like, really, LL? But he's got such a warm smile that you're like, oh, but I like you. Like he plays kind of that teddy bear vibe in this. Right. So it it is. I know. I think one of the criticisms was it's just an odd choice for that role because you don't picture him in a in in a department store working. But, but I, but it works with her. Like, I think the two of them and it's, it's an untraditional rom-com because it's not really a rom-com in the traditional sense of you don't really, you're not focused on the two of them getting together as much as you are her love that she's developing for life and herself versus like their rom-com kind of is interrupted by, you know, her pending death so that's why it's interesting like you have one movie starting off where you have like the shy workers at the store who both you know right off the bat that they both like each other there's no like will he like me do i have to change for him do i have to do this or that you know they like each other they're just too stuck in their heads to finally commit to it and then all of a sudden it just she runs away and for good reason like you don't want to like tell the love of your life like hi i'm dying bye so so she disappears and he's just like but i want to ask you out and before we get into like the whole plot of it i love and this is like spoiler right off the bat is i love that their love story like his view of her is the same at the beginning as it is at the end and everything that she experiences and everything that she does with her um, perception or how she's perceived is not a factor in how he loves her or what he wants from her. Mm -hmm. Because you'll notice through the story when she arrives at the hotel, money is what is luring everybody to her and the curiosity and the intrigue about who this wealthy woman is, which in a typical rom-com would be like the man would see her and being like, I want that woman because like, what's her story. And you don't have that in this love story. So I just kind of appreciate that. So to me, it is like the ultimate love story because it's two people finally like being able to express their love for each other without having to really change themselves or be different or do outlandish things or, or try to do things the other one doesn't like. And I'll dig into that a little bit later because I love this movie so much. Well, well, I mean, she is her to him, like, at the end, she's exactly who he thinks of her and who she is, despite all these people discovering and her discovering herself. He always saw her as that. It's just she needs to reciprocate to him that, yes, I am interested, which is part of the problem because he's there waiting and he's not aggressive, but he's 
he's offering himself like because he's yes. to things like he helps her out and he was like hey uh, i got tickets to the hornets game in a few weeks just yep. to be in advance to make sure because he's nervous about it too but like yeah so like at the end when she finally has the confidence to accept what he's because she she's in this mold that there's an insecurity with her that i i've personally had before in life where she's like this this handsome fellow over here, there's no reason he would be interested in me. And if he is, the first hot or more traditionally attractive woman that comes along is gonna he's gonna just bail on me for that. And that's what that's the, the mentality of that. Like that's where she's at with it, probably. That's that's my yeah. guess. Because Queen Latif is a, a bigger woman, so and the t- LL's like this buff buff dude, like, you know. Yeah. Ladies love Cool J. That's he. He probably gave that name to himself. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, like I had a, I had a like relating to this movie and stuff. Like I had, um, and where I saw it through Queen Latifah's eyes and understood that is like when I was in college, I was a, I was a bit more hefty set as I went through the years because my drinking outweighed my exercising and my eating habits weren't the best in college. Um, but I, I. Did start. I was seeing this this girl that I I'd seen, but like she was just drop dead gorgeous or whatever, and like I I just couldn't believe she would be interested in me. I'm like, when is this? End? Like, what? What? Is, and I just couldn't. I couldn't accept it. I trashed the whole thing because I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And then I would just I had paranoia about like, oh, but then I look back, I'm like, I don't know. That's just a different mentality when you're in your early twenties and stuff. But um, I will not name her because she is a, she. Uh, is a person of stature nowadays, but okay. yeah, but yeah, that that happened. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. I, it was just really bizarre, but yeah. But that's not to say that Queen Lativa isn't beautiful in this movie, but she is given that um, she is given that like traditional romantic comedy type of like, oh, we're gonna make you look a little bit more homely at the beginning of the movie, wearing boring, plain mm-hmm. colors and just like very covered up and like hair slicked back and her posture and her demeanor just kind of made herself feel smaller. So, I mean, and then she obviously has this self like moment of empowerment where she gives no fucks anymore because she's gonna die. And then you get the classic every 90s, 2000s rom-com or movie like this has the like, let's have the makeover montage moment. Mm. And, and you see her and you're just like, that is a beautiful woman. Yeah, they dress her well. Like she fits though. Every one of those outfits is just like the one with the jeans and stuff. I'm like, Queen Latifah. Yeah, no, she's (laughs) stunning. Like, and she does get the attention of the, um, Senator, the, the, the Giancarlo Esposito. He is like, he is thirsty for, he is. And I, I mean, I believe it. Like when she Mm -hmm. walks in wearing that red dress and they first see her, they're like, who is that? Mm -hmm. And then like, and then, I mean, again, this is such a movie where it's, it's like, it is very paint by numbers, like, like write by numbers, like where you just draw out of a hat, like, okay, we need, there's a lot of misdirects, there's a lot of miscommunication, right. and just that five, that four minute scene when she arrives at the hotel from the helicopter, because she took a helicopter to the hotel, mm-hmm. 
and lands and everybody's like, who's that? And then the rumors start circulating and I believe it. Like you have these wealthy people there, but like before I even get into the details, this movie is so much more than like a typical comedy, at least for me, because it is like a commentary on the healthcare system and commercial avi- um, commercial aviation and airlines and lobbying and capitalism and retail, working in retail. entitlement, yeah. retail, privilege. Like it basically... Before she even gets to the hotel, that airplane scene is one of my favorite moments that not many movies do well, where she basically obliterizes like everything wrong with just flying coach and how they profit from it. And she's like, how much for the damn cocoon? And and there's something like about that moment and what she says is just delivered perfectly to me. But to me, like that's where I want to I was going to bring up and ask about because like that, that speech she gives the way and she's she's representing the people there and they're yes. all for her but then what she like the coach is for the you know less fortunate not everybody in coach kids sit first class but then like you know, let me just pull out my wallet and go then like it was like wait how do they feel like oh well she why wouldn't she there in the first place oh she's one of them rich people up and co- like she was supposed to be fighting for us the people and then to first class with their well money. here's the thing though yes but like, so i also was a I little mean, confused on how to read that that was my it wasn't necessarily I'm like bad but i was kind of conflicted feeling well i think here's the thing though she she's lived her life i mean let's just go back to the very beginning of this movie where you mm-hmm. see her in her modest like lifestyle where she doesn't even indulge in her own cooking and she cooks right. for the neighborhood um so she has this very regimented strict lifestyle where she like suppresses a lot of her natural instincts and what she wants. And she has the book, like big book of possibilities and she, she envisions her life, but she doesn't know how to make that a reality. So I think the plane sequence in her with the money is that like bridging the gap, like you first see it when she quits her job, which to me is like such a brilliant moment when she just starts beating his shoe or beating the phone with the shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the stupid insufferable boss, they write these, like some of these characters so insufferable that I'm just like, Oh, but I love it. Um, where she just kind of releases that part of her, like, you have like the id, the ego and the super ego. Like when she finds out she's dying, like her id takes over and she's not used to that. So I think when she gets into the plane, she would never have complained before, but she's also a, not familiar with plane travel, be not familiar with having money. So this is all new for her. And in her mind, she's like, I don't have time to fight the system. I'm just going to pay for it. And it kind of goes to show you that just money solves problems. Okay. How I read it as opposed to, she didn't have time to change the system. That's not what she's doing, but she's pointing out a flaw in the system and she's showing how money just makes it better. So, so that's what a lot of this movie is. And that goes into the whole lobbyism, like lobbyist thing and the capitalist stuff where you have Cragen, the kind of set up by her boss is like this inspirational, like million multimillionaire corporate guy who knows how to do everything. Um, You have that set up where he's meeting with governors and senators at this overpriced hotel in the middle of nowhere so just right there goes to show you that if you're not a part of this inner circle your decisions don't matter and you find that out with the church when he doesn't show up for the meeting in her hometown and again she never lied in this entire movie everything is miscommunication and she doesn't she doesn't even have to correct people because nobody actually says anything to her face until the end so she just is like well, I'm not going to say anything if nobody's going to ask me questions. Um, and that's what I kind of appreciate about it, too, because it's just heartwarming. Like, she's just living her life and she's like, 
what do I have to lose? I'm just going to do it. And again, this movie makes me cry. It's still to this day. I watched it the other night again, and I still cried at two points during this movie. And we'll get to those moments. But um, I just think it's a reflection to show you that even though this is such a contrived kind of setup and plot, I appreciate that they're not further pushing into that by like creating this web of lies and it's everybody else's assumptions and perceptions that are creating their own mess, which is what happens in the real world all the time, unless they just flat out asked at the beginning and nobody had, nobody felt to do that. So again, it's another like kind of hidden subtext in this movie of just, if you're wondering about her, why are you not asking? And yet you're all working yourself up into a frenzy thinking she's some like wealthy millionaire who has power over something but you gave her the power without even realizing who you were giving power to right, just right. because of her money. So, so I read into it a lot and I, and I kind of not, it's not even forgive because I just appreciate it, but given the circumstance, like what would you do with three weeks to die? Yeah. So, so I, I don't really blame her for being a little erratic because why would you not? Mm-hmm. And like, and this is one of like the rare instances where a doctor's negligence actually like changes somebody's life for the better <laughs> because that right. mistake on the, on the um, CAT scan basically allowed her to finally embrace her life. Not that I'm recommending that people like cash out their life and, and go on a trip and hope for the best because that's, that's frivolous, but given the circumstance and they set it up where it's like, well, you can't afford to get surgery. You can't afford to get like another test. You can't really do anything again, like a flaw of the healthcare system. She's just like, well, what do I have? I've got three weeks and nobody really knows much about this disease, but I feel fine. And if I go, I go, but I'm just going to live it up to the last moment why not? I think a lot of people with more privilege would probably want another test would look into other options, right? She doesn't have that resource and they, they do it in a very like kind of heavy handed slap in the face, kind of comical way with that, like bitchy nurse, I'm not nurse, the the woman who runs the insurance or whatever. Right. Um, She was like in that, like $360,000 and that's without anesthesia you're going to want that. Like, it's just like (laughs) you bitch. Like, why are you even telling her an amount without the anesthesia? Like, no, they're not going to do a brain brain cranial surgery without it. So like, Oh, let me cut corners and save 20 grand or however much. So it's just, but I, I like how it pokes fun in kind of a skit exaggerated fashion because at the core, the heart of this story is there. And I think Queen Latifah's performance grounds it in heart that everything outlandish about it can be that heightened reality and commentary, but at its roots, it's about somebody who is most of America stuck in just their traditional job, living life from the day to day, whatever that may be. And that is, that is the norm I would say. So, yeah, I think she represents kind of that feeling. And when somebody who has that very structured nine to five lifestyle and doesn't really know what to do when they have the opportunity with money, then it's just kind of a new feeling, a new appreciation. And 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 there's something special about that. For- right. Yeah. I mean, they, they with her, her thing, like they get the her character. What I love that they do with her is like she has she's the 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 best person and has the best scenes with the worst people like that's the the whole kind of fun of this is like she yep. is uh, treats people fair 
while others are judging her not on personality. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was thinking about when I was watching it too. There's the staff at this place mm-hmm. is there. It's kind of adorable. Like how kind and stuff and how fun they are to her, but it's only because they think she has money. Like they wouldn't be treating her like that if she was, they knew like who she was herself there for the weekend. Yep. And, but she treats them with the utmost kindness and appreciativeness. And she even has the scene where she snaps at Alicia Witt about don't talk to a working person like that, you know, da, da, da. And they're all like, oh, wow. Well, she's actually sticking up for us who were kind of treating her like this. And then she also, and vice versa, has another exchange with Alicia Witt about uh, Timothy Hutton's character, who is, she's his mistress or whatever, that he's still with his wife and stuff. And she, he, she she's all upset about things. She's like, look, you're not, they're not bad people. They're just greedy people. And it's like, whoa, damn. This enlightened. You're this enlightened being. Like, And it's just her not giving a fuck. Like, that's yep. the thing. Her air of not caring has made her appear this enlightened, wise, just free-spirited being to these people. But all it is is just her not caring. And... It's just it's all her. It's I mean, like I said, like her id takes over. It's like what we all are thinking. Like nothing she says is that groundbreaking in terms of like, oh, you're some wise philosopher. She's just really calling it like she sees it. And that's something like about the simplicity of this story is she's just calling people out for the simplicity of what she sees like yes but that's why she's not she's not judging the workers there because she's one of them like she is one of those employees in that respect like she's just catering to people with her job so so she doesn't see herself as being above the people giving her massage treatments and all those things she again feel that's why i think it's easier for her to stand up for i um brigitte uh, brigitte is that one um who's giving the massage to alicia witt which is the funniest moment too when like um queen latifah publicly after she like yells at alicia witt for treating them with respect she's like and you wouldn't have those neck uh, neck cramps if you weren't going down on right. the over there and it's like <gasps> like you just said that out loud like oh but it's but again it's something we're all thinking, but she's just able to say it out loud. So it, it comes, but you just, but she says it with love and not so much judgment. Like it's odd because you don't feel judged by her. You just feel like you're, you're, you're just waking you up to, to hear. Her. Yeah. 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 And, and, and what's, why does she, she, there's no reason for her not to. And I think, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've been in places where I haven't, like, where I know I won't see people again. And I've had moments where I've just kind of called stuff out just because, I mean, like, it feels good, but you do it in a respectful way. So, so I, I appreciate what she did. And in some ways, I wish more people would stand up like her without feeling like they're going to die in two weeks. Um, Because if, if more people like her existed, then I think people would be treated nicer in, in retail work or in just jobs in general, when you're part of that corporate ladder um, and you're just a worker bee. Then I love that she develops, but that's the thing though, is they all want her for money at first, or like that's what draws them to it, but that's not what keeps them around because most of the time, like that's why um, Miss Gunther has a change of heart and gives back the tip from Mr. Cragen when she's supposed Mm -hmm. to spy on her. It's, It's the money made them nice to her, but her attitude 
kept, like built their relationship. And that's why people didn't want to turn on her or didn't want to do it. And we're excited to find out that she's not dying anymore. Um, and that she wasn't, and nobody, and I love that this movie didn't attack her for creating like a false sense. Like you lied to all of us. You didn't tell, it wasn't like some big production. It was like, Oh, thank God this was a mistake and she's not dying. She's going to live. Yeah, like yeah. nobody really cared that she was just a retail worker. They just, they felt connected to this generous, compassionate woman who just wanted to experience something out of her normal comfort life. And, and, um, and, and I believe, and like, that's the thing is, this movie again from that like kind of right by numbers of the we're going to go skiing and she's never done well snowboarding which um and the attention to detail where you see the cover of the magazine she's on when um gunther is going through her um room when she's not there Mm -hmm. and then like at the end of the movie she's like i've done things i never know like i ended up on the magazine cover which it wasn't like a big moment it was just a subtle detail woven in there and if you caught it you caught it right that she's on the cover um but that scene does bother me only because Cragen was screwing up her snowboarding. Like you shouldn't, you're not, you're dangerous on these slopes. He was getting in her face. He was right. doing all these things. Like she may not have stopped, but she was not impacting any other person there other than the one person bothering her. <laughs> so for him to go off and say she's dangerous is just so ridiculous to me um, because he, I mean, yeah, she didn't know how to control herself around him, but if he wasn't putting himself in that situation, then he wouldn't have had to be at risk either. So, I mean, he's just, he's committed. I mean, he is awful to any degree, but I, even at least they know how to clown him perfectly. Cause I, I, I did love the, the scene where they go to get the, they're going to dinner to have the table and she gets offered the one that Gerard Depardieu has help for him and they show everybody sitting having fun and then he's over it's this shot where he's like low in the camera by himself at his table i that i watched this twice like i said i i that was maybe one of my favorite moments the movie just that shot of him like i know he he gets up and he fits in there and oh it was oh so and the way he like has to go in between the two of them at the table too he doesn't like go aside he like interrupts and he keeps kind of pushing no he's insufferable but like even but he's but but here's the thing though his being insufferable people were losing patience throughout it which made his insufferableness bearable Mm -hmm. because you watched him lose everybody through that behavior. So it's almost like a good lesson because in a lot of those movies, there's always like the minions or the people that are with the insufferable characters that just kind of only have that change at the end or just sometimes don't, or just go like, Oh, well, we're all stuck in this together. But it was people kind of like pulling back the layers and seeing who he was. And they were the ones that were pulling away from him in the process so i i appreciated that this movie didn't it, it made it made other people like not tolerate him as well like we went on that journey of losing him like we knew it was bad from the beginning mm-hmm. but just everybody around him started seeing it too because it was like the compliment with complimented by like um queen latifah georgia bird it's like you see the two of them with each other and you realize like what energy do we want to be around and um even even at the um when she's at the restaurant for the first time with Gerard Depardieu and he comes out after Craig and I mean, like this movie is very smart though. Even if people think it's a simple script, just him being like, 
oh, can the chef come to our table after setting it up that they wanted the entire menu changed to accommodate them. And then he comes out and he's like waving. And then like he goes to Georgia Bird's table first. And then you just see him go like, what I'm, I should be the most important person here. Mm -hmm. And he's not. And that like the friendship built with him and um, Gerard Depardieu and um, Queen Latifah is just so beautiful to watch. There's something that it just I appreciate their little story. I mean, it's outlandish that it would happen that that she would end up cooking with him by the end, maybe. But I do believe that her presence at this hotel was a breath of fresh air for this man. Mm-hmm. That she did order everything. She was going there, and he's and it was a surprise to him that he. I think he would be curious and intrigued by whoever she was, and he she charmed her right away. So I think I think there was genuine friendship built between these fictional characters i don't know why i'm talking to them like the real but i just feel connected to that where you just meet somebody and you just feel like i'm around all these awful people all the time except for like other workers Mm -hmm. and i'm not friends with them and then you have this woman come in who just values your work and your food like which is his food and and she wants to know everything about it and they just their humor lines up so 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 much of this movie just makes me smile and um and you know like alicia witt taking her power back by the end of it just like yes like and she's coming off of uh urban legends that movie i think this was like what this guy she had been this guy like two years or though this is 2006 so she had been this guy like five years before this and yeah she i always wanted her to take off real big but i know i don't know what like uh let's see latifah was on her rise from you know her chicago cashing in and starting to get all the big leads um, yeah going from supporting to elite she, i mean she had that bring down the house and then she would have the barbershop movie and yeah the oh there's that <laughs> taxi with uh jimmy fallon right before this but yeah which but, wasn't really like that's why i feel like this is the one movie of like the ones you list like bringing down the house and taxi and all that mm-hmm. i feel like this movie has the most heart and showcases her in a better light than those other movies. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, this movie could have been, well, A, it could have been done with John Candy, which it would not have made me cry twice. Like I guarantee you the John Candy version of this would have been drastically different. Oh, yeah. um, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't make me as emotional as I think it does. I could be mistaken, but I don't think I am. I don't think it would have been a bad movie. I think it would have been great, but it would have been not this movie. Um, but also it could have, if it was, a Sandra Bullock and uh, who was big at the time in 2006 male, like heartthrob lead. I don't know, but like just throw a man out there in 2006 with like a Sandra Bullock type or, or something. I don't know. I mean, I probably would have still enjoyed it, but I don't know if it would have connected with me as much. I think Queen Latifah is what this movie needed to be what it was. And I know it was rewritten and adapted from the John Candy version of the script. I know that. So I don't know what the differences are there, but I don't know how much of it was because she wanted changed in it or she just was given a script with change and said, Oh, I like this now, or she had influence on it, but it seems like she influenced it a lot to do this movie. And that's why this movie feels like a hug. Like it feels like you're just being embraced by Queen Latifah and you just want to sit down and have dinner with her and enjoy life. And that's, um, Brings me to the two moments that really make me cry. Which... Have you seen the the original with Alec Guinness at all? Before we move on, I did. 
back in okay like 2000s so yeah uh, so i was just curious of that it isn't as um sentimental gotcha gotcha so that's just like that's the difference is this movie even okay and first i'm gonna preface this by like no i'm not comparing it to this movie because i don't put this on the stature but this movie kind of has that sense of it's a wonderful life of of rediscovering and like kind of looking back at things it's it it has that kind of warmth to it realizing that you do mean something to people exactly yeah yeah no it's perfect and um it's a very different movie and she's not but it's but it still gives me that like kind of contemporary feel by the end of it you just you want to look at life and say like why am i complaining about these things when there's so much that you can appreciate and it's really hard to do that and um queen latifah at the um uh smoky robinson concert mm-hmm. when she's just sitting there watching it i cry every time every time i'm just like oh she's gonna die and she's just finally appreciating life i'm gonna get emotional just talking about it <laughs> um it is there's something just so beautiful about it because all these other people are there for show okay, almost okay. or at least the people she's surrounded by and don't really understand the significance or what this experience meant to her like as her character and that's just it's kind of heartbreaking that like people who do have these grand experiences all the time forget that they are significant or that they do have meeting and there's a lot of people who don't get these opportunities and now this woman is sitting there with these awful people but having like a private moment surrounded by all these awful people Smokey Robinson's um, playing in my hotel like yeah you know th- those people it's Saturday night her it's like what the this is there's like 20 of us here and he's right there yeah yeah and and that's just beautiful to me that she has this private moment and she's able to step away from all of that noise and just being like and and it's just even her like kind of just talking to god throughout the movie whether you believe or not you just still like just i get it like i get why she's just like really god now and like the casino scene i reference all the time in my life um, her placing the number on 17 three times in a row. If you want to know how my brain works, watch that scene. I'm telling you now, because when she's like, should I do 17 again? No, I'm going to go to like five. No, 13. But my mama was born. So I'm going 17. And it just, that is what I do. And it's reminiscent of I Love Lucy, my favorite show. And the Monte Carlo episode where Lucy like secretly goes to the casino and then she like somebody dropped a chip. She puts it on the table and she won and she pushes the money away and she wins again. And she's like, what is happening? And she's like, I don't want this money. And then she gets all the money and she loses it. This movie kind of plays on that where you realize like, wait a second, like it answers, it solves all the problem. Like this movie really does like put life in a nice, beautiful box and puts a bow on it by the end because you're like, wait a second, she's spending every cent of her life right now. And if she lives, what is she going to do? They gave her a solution. She just won a hundred grand <laughs> at the there casino go, yeah. and, and problem solved. And I, and even her rationale of I'm not going to like keep testing my luck and she cashes out with a hundred grand. Like, why would a person dying, like, want to cash out? Like, I mean, it's great, but what's she going to do with this money now? But then you see her write the note later on. And it's just, like, she's still giving back even in death. Like, she was like, I'm going to win all this money. And now I'm going to, here's money for my funeral. But I want to be, oh, and I love that line of, like, I've lived my whole life in a box. I don't want to be. Right. One. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I, like like you said here, like she goes out to do these experiences. These these are the great, uh, like the things like jumping, the jumping off the wall, the skiing, the you know being at the hotel, doing all the rich people things. But the thing that where it peaks for her, like her life's peak, because she got to do something amazing, was. Working in the kitchen with Gerard Depardieu, serving the people, working, putting in hard effort, serving. Like, that's true to her. That's the thing that was the most impactful. That was the big, that was where she's like, okay, I'm ready to go now. Like, that's yeah. where it's at. And it's a true to character. And that's kind of amazing. They, they pull this off because a lot of people will be like, oh, I'm just going to do all the things. Yep. And her thing was working hard which also shows that she has more to give more to show and like with the opportunities available she could be amazing like like that and yep. um and Gerard Depardieu there for the opportunity and in another kind of romantic comedy he would have been the romantic interest throughout but exactly. he's, allow- he's allowed to just be a friend a mentor and the kindest guy there like that's where she doesn't want to be out there eating the the stuff she wants to be out there watching the people eat the stuff yep. and helping them and serving them. And it's yep. it's just it's a fantastic character trait and way they showcase it in the, the film. Um, well, and that goes back to, again, with um, it's not so forced, like none of these opportunities were given to her either because out of sympathy for her dying either. Right. I mean, like his bond, Gerard Depardieu's bond with her was their shared love of food and cooking. And that's why, like, yes, he found out by the end. And that's another moment that like, I don't fully cry, but I do tear up on when, um, when he realizes in the kitchen and he just kind of looks at her and I'm just like, my eyes are like swelling because he's so genuine. Gerard, like, even though he's not in this movie that much, he sells that final, that final moment, the scene between the two of them in the kitchen could have been like, if you extract it, you could have told me that I was in an Oscar nominated best picture, not in the whole like scheme of things, but just that moment in there. And like just his genuine look at her and his facial reaction and her with him, you could have put, you could have said this is from an Oscar nominated yeah. film and I would have believed you. Well, I love when she's at the table being outed by Timothy Hutton and he's like, Hey, you don't owe these people. You just yep. come with me. You don't owe these yep. people anything. Like he's, yep. you have nothing to prove. And exactly like, it's and the funny thing is like the guy you know being like George Depardieu in the 90s kind of became a like joke in America yeah. or whatever with stuff but the guy's a hell of a performer like I I think it's just because he's not he was considered like he played a, in France he played a lot of like handsome lead type roles and he's not traditionally an American handsome and I think that was kind of a, a gag here in America but the guy's a yeah. hell of an actor like yeah, he really is, and you know he's got a fancy name like Depardieu, Gerard, but he's a hell of an act. Like being a film person, I've seen him in Plain to Know. Like, yeah, he's he's more than my father, the hero. Like he's like yeah. you know like it's yeah he is your like if you're not like he's your little side character that you just makes you just yeah with, with and as, and as you even said like in a typical like rom-com it would have been him that like ended up with her and that's why i love that they just erased that aspect of this movie and didn't make it a factor so that by the end of it uh, when he shows up at that hotel i'm like when he's on the roof i cry with ll cool j because like he literally climbed a mountain for her and again this isn't because 
he like thinks that she's wealthy or thinks that she's anything but this woman, but he just knows that she's going to die. And he's like, I can't live with myself if I don't tell this woman who's about to die how I feel. So it's not that like, it's not even forced that he's, he's not even doing it because she's dying. I mean, yes, she is. But like, again, he already asked her out. So he's just making sure that like, the points driven home before she dies. So like, so her, him finding out that she's dying maybe pushed him to like out of his comfort zone to do it. But I don't think it pushed him to say what he was going to say to begin with. If she was at home, said the same thing. Then if like climbing the mountain, doing all these things for her, well, he was trying to already. And then he's like, nothing was going to stop because they add a little quirky thing where he's got this like uneasiness on a plane. That's kind of out of nowhere, but that's just more example to show you like he's going through whatever to get to her to to finally, you know, to say, shut up. Let me say my thing because you've not let me say it. You've not taken me up on these opportunities. I saw the scrapbook. You live like a teen girl fantasy still at your old age, but old crony as she gets called once in the film. But, um, but uh, yeah, he's he's there for that, and he's fine. Like I think the thing that works most about LL Cool J is he's not overused in this. Like he's exactly he's he's they separate them for like the majority of the film, and he comes back way later, and he's allowed to be fun. Like because I'm I was thinking I was like what he doesn't he's never really used in romantic comedies ever. Like this is like yeah. it for LL Cool J pretty much. Um, but he's a, like he's a the thing is. Uh, with LL Cool J, it's surprising he wasn't too because he is a pretty well loved presence, and he always, uh, especially in the '90s and stuff, he tested very well with audiences in movies when they would preview them, test them. Like he was always high scores, more of this guy, more of this guy, more yep. of this guy, and that's you know audiences loved him, and you know he's just a you stick him there, he will make it work somehow. He he. Had, He's probably got an ego, but not too big enough to be try to over tower over a, a film or a television show he's on. Like he he knows how to make it work. I mean, I was a huge fan of Hanging with Mr. Cooper back in the day, that TV show. Oh, yeah. So, um, so I used to watch that show, which is why this movie felt so weird to me with him being in it. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it worked because he wasn't in it that much. So the payoff of him at the end really sold me. Versus, like, if it was more of a journey of him having to like track down the woman that he loved or if he was the chef in the hotel or something absurd like that it just it probably wouldn't have worked but it worked where it was him at the beginning and then you got a couple clips of him in the middle trying to figure out like where'd she go like this is unusual for her she's the like model employee not at work she just quit her job something seems weird and then even though it's corny, but that speech that he gives at the end, whether it's 50 years or five minutes, I just start bawling. It's beautiful to me. It's cheesy, but like, I get that. I I would say something like that if I meant it. Um, And I could say like, that, like could say something like that. And, and even just, and you can tell that he genuinely loves her and that, um, again, the book didn't scare him away. And then, you know, he's a keeper that like she has their faces cut out here when he sees the book of possibilities. Like, that's my like old worker employee ID photo. And she like yeah, cut out employee of the month photo. That's yeah, employee of the month photo. Um, but I also love like even the the when she finds out she's going to die. And rather than um, rather than go through the hassle of trying to fight the healthcare system, she says, like, I'm cashing out my money. I'm going to blow all my money. Um, she throws the book of possibilities away and it's just right there. It's no longer a book of possibilities because it's a book of 
it's a book of reality, which at the very end, they like do that mm-hmm. right before the credits, they like cover up possibilities and put realities with a little like label maker. And, and that moment is captured right when that book lands in the garbage. Like mm-hmm. that book no longer matters because she's, it's, it's going to be her life now. And it becomes her life without it being forced. Right. It just organically happens in this kind of, created world that is i mean the world itself is kind of forced but like the way she flow like travels through it isn't and um even with the um base jumping moment like the base jumping scene and it cracks me up because like Kragen is i like that was the only moment that i didn't sympathize like I still hated him but I related to Kragen where I remember being much younger and back in the day when I was I mean I've been I would never go base jumping. That is one thing I don't think I could do. I've been skydiving. I've been bungee jumping. I've done all the things, but base jumping terrifies me to this day, just because it's just not enough distance. Um, But I just like, that's like such a flashback to like middle school, elementary school, me where being like, Oh, I couldn't do it because there was a problem with X, Y, and Z and him being like mechanical error, like thing not attached. And he's just making up this thing of like an excuse of why he's not doing it versus owning it being like, I'm scared. It's an excuse. And that to me is such a childlike instinct to do to kind of cover yourself because nobody wants to admit when they're scared and like a child does it now if people say like you want to do that i'd be like no that's scary is like no so um i wouldn't but it just to me it showed his childlike self of not being able to do it meanwhile like georgia bird just takes the leap and does it and it's successful um but she already is gonna die so it doesn't really matter to her if she dies differently and then like the skiing moment too like her boldness on that is kind of humorous but then i was thinking about it i'm like i don't know i feel like i would like die sooner than i expected if i did some of the things she did and i just don't want my death to be an inconvenience to anybody Mm -hmm. so like i'm sure if she died on those slopes because she like hit a tree then they would have closed the slopes and then everybody's whole like vacation would have gotten disrupted and i don't think she would have wanted that so like (laughs) i appreciate her doing it at the same time though it's kind of like oh my gosh, this is so scary. This is so scary. Like, I know you're going to die, but it's just like, don't die right here. Don't get hurt. So that's kind of like, so I, I, it made me reflect on like, what would be the things that I would want to try for the first time that maybe I haven't had the nerve to do if I was going to die. But then I thought, well, if anything's going to put me at risk, I just don't want to put others at risk if I'm going to do them. Even if I know I'm going to die, I just, yeah. So so like what her her options of like snowboarding and base jumping probably not on my list of things right. that I just everybody, for that reason everybody's would be different everybody's exactly. would be different everybody would have a different last holiday I I wanted to point out something that I thought this movie got kind of maybe it got into my head and I started seeing stuff there but it's there so it works but um, there's a depiction of the retail department store thing. That got me thinking, like the early portions of the film. She's in a spot, that spot in life where you're selling the stuff you're interested in. You're interested in being a part of the process of it, but you're selling it instead. Um, like she wants to be a chef, own a restaurant and stuff, but she's selling the cooking materials yes. and whatnot. And it's potentially, it's which isn't, there's nothing wrong with that. And it's potentially like close enough to being enjoyable. But it's the people like the management 
and the overall corporate culture and lack of a significant wage that keep that from being sustainable or enjoyable. Like people could enjoy those things more, but you're not paying enough. You're not treating them right. You're not, you know, like, cause the guy gets mad because she's giving away food or something like that. Or, but she gets a crowd around interested in stuff and she's having fun at work and she works yep. in a department store and people don't like that people. Yep. And, but, and it reminded me like, I, I've worked retail too, but like I would, I, I would have enjoyed, I did when I was in college, which the last episode I just told circuit city to fuck off, but there were enjoyable times there because I worked in the DVD department and CDs and I am into that stuff. You know that Greg, I'm very into that stuff. I had that section down. I was obsessed with it. Like I wanted it to be immaculate. I wanted to be knowledgeable to where someone would be like, we got this. Yeah, right here, right here. Like I really got into it. They didn't like that. It wasn't TVs and stuff. So it wasn't yeah. like, and they weren't paying me jack squat. I was a college kid. They were taking advantage of me. They didn't like the things that I thought were important that I thought should be like this way or suggestions I'd give because I wanted that department to be better. And I was having fun because I love movies. I love collecting blue, like the DVD, there's before Blu-ray DVDs and stuff, but they didn't, that was accessory stuff to them. They, they were just hoping if someone bought a TV, they might pick that up for another $20 after. But like I cared about, like I reordered that section was a mess when I came back and they just had loads of boxes in the warehouse with stuff that wasn't on the shelf that should have been on the shelf that they could have found. Like, and I hated going to stores like that and them not knowing or caring or how that I wanted to be that guy that if you came in, I would get it to you or I would show you where you could get it or something like that. And I, I did that, but there was never an appreciation for what I did. Never a like, Oh, Brandon's good at that. It would be like, this disgruntled, like, oh, I guess I'll fucking ask him. And I wasn't a prick about it. I was just really proud of what I was doing. And that's here with her doing the cooking stuff. And I was like, that's a thing. Like, And I was thinking, like, those retail jobs and stuff could be more enjoyable if the corporate culture allowed them to be. If they embraced their employee. Like, there's a way to enjoy working at, like, Target or something. There yeah. is. If you respect people, if you let them live, you know, customers are always gonna suck but it can't be that bad part of it sucking is what they do to you from the corporate end and then the reciprocation coming from the customer like it's those could be more enjoyable this movie shows that they could but that shows what happens when you do take it into your own hands and go a little astray from the corporate thing what oh man you did something that wasn't on the agenda today so i don't know that i i really found a nice spot in that scene for the movie well, I did write about that too. I would have talked about it, but I'm glad you did. Um, but that move, but the movie takes it one step further and actually comments on that because when she's quitting, what does he do? Oh, because you're trying to hit me up for more money because you're like making the most sales. So they even are acknowledging the fact that she is like one of the best of the jobs mm-hmm. that she is keeping the apartment together. And yet they're still like, but then like they're still suppressing that like natural instinct of oh, this is working. Like, why? But in, but then it goes to her boss who idolizes asshole Cragen, who we then meet later on, whose only concern is profit. So her giving away the food off, like, is still considered, even though it brings in more business, on the back end, it looks like it's actually causing more problems because it's it makes it more personable. And for them, I think that corporate mentality is personable is a threat. Well, yeah, uh, and Craig go when even another step, 
even when he um, reveals her to the table, she's still proud of her store and her work there. Like she's yep. still, uh, yeah, she's still like best store here, best. You know, she still stands up for it despite and, having an a hole boss. Despite all that, yeah. Um, and that's the thing is like working in those type of environments. Like, yeah, there's going to be awful customers all the time, mm-hmm. but there's also going to be great ones who do yeah. appreciate her. And that's the thing is her her doing the cooking in that cooking segment i've seen stores do that and department stores do that i've been in one and like why do people love costco the free samples um i mean like people i mean i think there are some businesses who are aware but if there was a store doing like actual cooking demonstration regularly like that with somebody who really enjoyed doing it i would return more i'd be more curious to know what's going on and i probably would buy something because if somebody's really nice to me i'm always like lured into things um, so I, but I think what helps is that Queen Latifah never forces anything on anybody. She just lets people experience what she's doing. And that brings her in, whether it's in the department store where she's talking about the cooking things, like the, the pots and pans she likes the most, I would be like, this is what you use. I'm going to buy that too, because I like you as a person versus feeling like it's scripted, like, well, these are our new blah, blah, blah. And these are the best that we have in here. If it's somebody who's personally sharing their story and sharing how they cook, I'm going to want to know how they do that if I like it. Well, yeah. So, like, yeah. it's the corporate brick and mortar culture went cold. Like, it's, it's detached, it's cold. That's why you see things like uh, craft brewing that shot up. Why? There's the taste thing, but it also felt personal. It felt like you were helping out. Yeah. A per- they, the beers all had pers- they have personalities. They have cool label. They felt like somebody was really oh, trying really hard in the back, but they're trying really hard to get sold out to make a bunch of money to be that. But like, it felt like there's a there's a personality with it as opposed to getting like a, a, a Coors Light off the shelf. No matter how how much their commercials in the mountains want you to tap the Rockies. You go, it's just, it's kind of a cool thing. A craft brew, you have to go to a special place that probably a local pub or a local, you know, the brewery itself, or it just, there's something in the presentation of that, that while still on a store shelf felt more personal, felt more brand and that you could throw that into the in-store experience. And part of that comes from treating your employees. Well, if you're treating well, they're gonna go well. Your customers are gonna like. If I would see a, if I were to see a Queen Latifah, George Georgia Bird, which I think is a brilliant film name, um, yeah. doing that, I would do what I can to keep her happy, to make her want to do that more often. Same, same. I, but they don't. They don't. They, they punish. Don't. They punish that when it, I Circus Easter. I'll tell you another one here just before. So there was one time there was an old woman came into our store. She bought something. I I. I went. I helped her out, rung her up, and she she was very slow and kind of frail. She, I believe, she had a cane, and she was going to the bus stop. And she asked me if I could walk her to the bus stop. This woman had been like late seventies, early eighties. She's like, I, I don't know if I have the energy. I have to get to the bus stop, and the so my building it was like across the street. To the right, and it wasn't a main road; it was like a side road, and it was just there's the Circus City building, the road, the bus stop, like it wasn't even a football field away, like maybe not even half. So I was like, "Ma'am, yeah, I'll, I'll take you out." I got reprimanded for taking her to the bus stop. Oh no, 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 no! I was not to leave the store, not to leave it with a customer. She could have had a knife, and st- like 
you saw who I left with. And they, they, I got written up for leaving the store for walk. And I'm like, what in the fuck? Like, that is like what people write about. That is what, like, there was no Facebook or anything back then, but that's what some have been like, oh my gosh, that could have got you business from social media retroactively yeah. later. But like, I was, I, and I would always try to do outside the box thing, but they, I got, I got written up for that, for walking an old woman to the bus stop. And so if any of my, if any of my customers, if any of my listeners thought I was harsh when, uh, Jessica and I talked about a Circuit City commercial last week and I said, rotten hell, this is why, <laughs> this is why. So, wow. so I, I was I, written up for walking an old woman to a bus stop. And that like never, never, if I was the boss, never would I ever even, con- I would have been like, if you even came and said, I'm going to step out and help this old woman and thing, I was like, go for it. Like, I mean, that would be my natural reaction. If like somebody, like if I was a boss and employee came to me and said they were doing it, I'd be like, okay. Like I also, (laughs) I left them understaffed on the sales floor because I'm sure they were in the middle of a mad rush and life was chaos. It was like three in the afternoon on a weekday. Yeah, no, it's absurd. (laughs) Um, But like, well, I've always kind of done stuff like that in jobs before, but I've never really like had too many problems. But I mean, like I've talked about this on like podcast interviews not movie related but like Mm -hmm. my life once where when I was an RA I technically like I did things my way which residents life didn't really appreciate as a job thing but Mm -hmm. like I I if my residents were like not able to get a ride and they called me at 2 a.m and they were drinking I would pick them up because I don't want them to put themselves at like my female residents I did not want them to be at risk I did not want to do that if they needed to get something off campus I took them like I would drive them. I like I treated these people like my residents, mm-hmm. like I with like care to make sure that they had the best experience that they could. And a lot of the, like a lot of the time it was frowned upon when but then reviews came in from my residents and they were all raves. So it's just it's one of those things where the experiences and the parents of these residents were grateful for everything that I did. Meanwhile, the school like certain times kind of looked at me like, well, like, why are you doing this? I'm like, to improve their quality of their freshman year. And they're like, but we don't do that. And I'm like, yeah, but this is a need that I can fulfill and it makes everyone happy. So let's do this. So I it just, it bothers me a little bit when there is such like tension between like by the book. And then like recently, um, I had to buy something for a project from Wayfair and then there was like a weird shipping delay. And then I was like, I'm going to need to cancel these. And they were going to be like arriving after the thing. And I called customer service and I explained the story and I will forever shop at Wayfair now just because okay. this when I explained to her the situation. Her thing was like, well, that just sucks, doesn't it? Well, let's see what we can do here. And I just was like, this is my favorite woman in the entire world because she didn't like it. She wasn't reading a script. It just was a real woman being like, Oh, that sucks. Well, mm, I don't even know. Hold on. Let me think about this. It just, it felt like she genuinely wanted to help me. And I don't think in any manual, it says, say that sucks when somebody complains. Like, but she didn't do it as like, like talking down to my situation. She did it because she actually like felt like she sympathized. She's like, oh my gosh, well, you need it on this time and it's not going to arrive. And then it's going to get shipped and nobody's going to be there anymore. And she was more panicked than I was. And I was like, whoever you are, woman, like, thank you. Like, 
even if this doesn't get solved, I felt like I was heard and listened to and understood. And you felt like my crisis and I gave her a five-star review. And I rarely do that. Like usually every time you call customer service, you always get a review thing. The minute I saw that email, I was like five stars because she felt like a real human. And I, I probably, and I worry though, that if that recording got to corporate, they're like, well, you can't say that. Right, like, I right. bet you, like, in my mind, I was more worried. That's why I was like, five stars, make sure that they know I liked it. Because you just, you worry when you feel people being genuine and real, that sense of, like, tension of going, like, hopefully corporate doesn't find out about it. And that literally just happened four days ago, like, that call. So it's not even, like, an early call. It's, like, I still have these weird feelings of, like, if somebody deviates from the script in the corporate world, they're going to get in trouble. And like, part of me was afraid that this woman might get in trouble for like sympathizing with me on this call. And yeah. So I did, I did that for, I did a, for a couple of many, a few years ago. Now I had a, I had took a job uh, doing like a uh, tech support and stuff for a phone app. And the one thing I will give the company too, like it wasn't, it wasn't for me, but um, there was no script. They're like, we trust you to be a human, to not go overboard. As long as you know our systems and stuff, like just you know what to do. Be friendly. Do you know? Do what you can. But and at first, I just kind of took whatever. It started as a temp gig, and then I took it on full time for a bit. Mistake. But um, the those jobs will crush you. You have to be a certain type of person to withstand them. No matter how much you think I'm going to do it different, like. It'll defeat you, which it yeah. did me. But I will give that they they didn't script it, and I only had one call that my recording was checked because a customer uh, complained irate. And guess guess what? I was in the clear. So oh, there like, you yeah, go. Oh, he lied, and you were surprised. They said I was impressively calm with him because he acted like, oh, this guy was a jackass to me. And it was like, and they they're like, you want to hear this call he complained about? I'm like, yeah, I'll listen to myself. And I was just like, uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, you know, let's, and this guy's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. and I was, but I was like, nope. So, uh, but yeah, that takes a special type of person and you should, yeah, treat people, people fine. But I mean, yeah, those call people, it's hit and miss with them. I will say. Yeah, well, calls and like, again, going back to the movie with retail, the fact that's the other thing, though, it just this movie, even though it is a wake up call and like she was stuck in this job, you have to then take a moment to reflect that there's a lot of other people who were stuck in that department store who didn't get a three week life sentence left who couldn't just blow away their money and change their life. And there's people who are still like suffering in that like building in that like company but their boss died as according to the epilogue so yeah so hopefully there was like a shift there and i mean craigan gave up his life and and ended up um going and joining the monk thing with uh doctor or whatever yeah Yeah, so so i'm hoping that i'm hoping that things changed with that department store because it's easy to look at movies like this or look at things or when you suddenly come into money and then think like well, yeah, like those problems solve, but there's a lot of people who don't have that ability to change their life by getting their money, by cashing out all this thing and are stuck with terrible bosses who make their life miserable and they don't have any options and quitting isn't really an option either. So then it just becomes kind of heartbreaking, even though this movie is so like feel good at the end. It's just like, what do you do, though, if you are healthy and you're stuck with a horrible boss (laughs) like what do you do and it's just like ah like she got out but like i just i just wish that like nobody had to deal with it and 
I mean, I'm getting to the the point of where if I don't want to like, because I freelance, it's always unpredictable with what I do. And I know I'm nowhere near where I could be in life or financially where I could be, because if I don't see eye to eye, or if I don't connect with a person on a project, I'm not going to do it. Like, I don't want to put myself, I would rather make less money and not work with people that I'm going to struggle with than do that. So there is a certain level of like privilege that I have to be able to do that. But when my life is stressful, where like, I mean, there was a few projects that I recently like lost due to budget cuts um, coming up next year. So I don't know what I'm going to do now for like next year. And I'm like stressed. So it's give take. You can work in a stable job and make decent money, but you could also sell your soul or you can live in constant anxiety of when your next job's going to come and, and not know, or then you might be in a situation where I have to work for somebody horrible at some point. But like, I recently just stepped away from something because I was like, we're not seeing eye to eye. I'm withdrawing peace. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I feelings were just, yeah. Like I just, if you're, if, if you don't communicate the way that I do, then it's going to be very challenging to move forward with this. And I'm not forced to be in this yet. So like let before things erupt into something more, more before I'm beating your phone with my shoe, let me just remove myself from the situation. That's a reference to the movie for those listening. So, yeah. So, so I mean, I'm thrilled with her because like, you always hear that expression. Oh, well, it couldn't have happened to a more wonderful person. Like it's just, you want that you want her, like Georgia bird's life to be wonderful. And at the end it is, she has her loving like partner and she has her restaurant and she has her idol Emerald there. Emerald, and I used to watch him on the food network all the time. Was he so still it's just, a big deal in 2006 when it came out. Cause he was yeah. huge in the nineties. And then, but I mean, yeah. once big chef, always a big chef, I guess. So, yeah, no, he was still big. I don't, I mean, I watched his show because I watched the Food Network. I was weird. I was very adult as a child. And then the more adult I became, the more childlike I became. I kind of, I like personality, Benjamin Button myself. Like I'm looking older, but like my personality literally started out with like six-year-old being like, I love Lucy, Golden Girls, Food Network, like two hot tamales, Emerald, like Lagasse as like a six-year-old being like, woo, favorite movies, like In the Line of Fire and Pretty Woman. And then like the older I get, I'm just like, like, oh, let's go to theme parks and let's go to like mini golf and let's do that. Like, I just, I completely like reverse personality myself. Um, so like when I'm 80, I'm going to be like on a swing set being like, wee, like, I don't know. But, um, but yeah, I just, I think he was a big deal. So I think, and he had restaurants really popping around. I don't think he was as much of a TV personality as he was kind of a like restaurateur or whatever, more so, like a bigger name in that industry, I think. But I don't know. But I just I just love this movie. And it's a non like it starts essentially like two days before Christmas. I think it like gives you a couple days of setup. Right. And then like Christmas Day, I think she arrives at the hotel and then it ends on new year's yeah well and then with the, like an epilogue of like the future but like but yeah i just so it takes place basically the week of like christmas to new year's and it's mm-hmm. just and she's getting the greatest gift that we all can have is just like time to appreciate life which is something that like life doesn't really allow us to do that much anymore because it's always such a hurry to right. survive so this this just yeah but I, it goes I, yeah. I i thought after this like I was like, this would work really well as a stage play. Like, yeah. you could you could really have a lot of fun with this. Like, and give people like 
time to shine accurate like I, I i was just watching i'm like man they could i was looking at i was like how would i put the stage together what sets would i use what would i like how would i i'd probably rewrite a little bit to keep it more at the hotel yeah you would have to i i was like yeah this would be a really like lovable like stage play i could see like high school productions put it I, uh, on, like you know like i if- hate you for putting this idea in my head because now all i'm gonna want to do is adapt this to do a play i'm working on a play for high school is like writing one um, because I, I mean, I do work at high school. Like I, I guest directed at a high school and I'm directing a show currently at a high school, um, like in my like spare time. Um, <laughs> but now, but I was like, well, maybe I should like try writing more plays with large casts that schools could do because they're, they're, they're needed. But I realized the style of writing I do is very much in this vein, like this type of thing, mm-hmm. all the misdirects and the miscommunication and the quick speak and and like a very influenced by like like Kaufman and Hart plays of like um, the man who came to dinner and once in a lifetime and um, all those type of plays from like the 50s or 60s. Ugh, I can't believe I'm forgetting the dates, but I feel like and again, this was based on a movie from the 50s. So I'm sure it has, which is probably why you get a theatrical sense, because movies from back then had a very theatrical feel to them. But now I really want to. That would be like a dream if I was able to adapt this and then direct this as a play. There you go. So thanks for creating a new dream for me. I will add it to my list. I already have a dream musical that I want to create and adapt or create, I should say, and then well, maybe direct. But that's like in my book of possibilities that probably will never happen. But you never know. It could. But now this will be in my list of possibilities of a play that I would want to um, adapt. Awesome. Well, happy to, happy to plant that seed in there. Um, thank you for that. So, yeah, and thank you for bringing this movie. I'd never seen it. It was quite enjoyable, and I had a, it, the conversation of it was fantastic. <laughs> it hit a lot of different... I enjoy these conversations with you. These are very <laughs> unique, uh, and I, I, I like the angle. Uh, I mean... It helps I me appreciate, discuss movies in a, with a different way, so... Yeah, I don't think anybody would do as deep dive into this movie as I would. I'm, I'm here for it. I, and the the last holiday fans are going to pop up about it. Wait, there's a podcast talking about this? Finally. And it's two white guys. I mean, that's awesome. the thing is... <laughs> <laughs> I, exactly. Like I, I mean, I hope people realize that I genuinely love it. But I just think it's one of those underappreciated feel-good movies that just... It's not explicitly Christmas, but it just it feels like the holidays it feels like you're being given a gift and well, and it's I think very people, new year'sy with the, yeah. the you know shall all acquaintance be forgot type attitude with yeah. it you know like it's very very much yeah new new yeah. new year new me there you go what else this is where we just talk about other things we may have taken in Put out the world, watched, written, read, listened to. Who knows? So, Greg, what else? I mean, uh, goodness, I already talked about the new book. Um, and then, uh, I mean, I'll just touch on, like, speaking of Christmas movies, I was involved in one on Hallmark recently, An Unexpected Christmas. Um, that was my first kind of screenplay that I ever wrote that Hallmark, like, graciously adapted and kind of made into the Hallmark kind of product. Um but it's a very personal story to me. Uh, so for anybody out there who loves like Hallmark Christmas specific movies and unexpected Christmas is um, has my little touch in there and my contribution to the 
Christmas genre um, that we're seeing. And you heard all about it last week on the yeah. show. Being so since you already talked about, it, I won't say anything else on that. <laughs> I, will, I will, I will just kind of do that. But there is there. It's a very personal movie to me, and written at a time when I was really struggling years ago, and um, struggling with just like life and work and relationship and almost my like fantasy of maybe getting back together with somebody that I loved. But let's just say the movie has the happy ending. I I didn't in real life get that one, but uh, I am with somebody now and different and that's so far going well. So, um, but I am working on another Christmas movie um, that I really like. I don't know if it's going to fit the needs of Hallmark because they have their very niche and what they do. But I like that this movie was able to, my first one was able to push a little bit of the Hallmark style. Um, but this next one will have an LGBT um, primary story. I know an unexpected Christmas had kind of a kind subplot. Of- yeah. It was a subplot of the sister, which originally that sister um, I hadn't, because there was in one version of that story, there was a gay cousin um, who did get a love story in it. But then that character kind of went sidelined and the sister got propped up more as it got adapted through it. Um, But I was actually originally wanting to, I put the gay cousin in there just because I really liked that character and had a lot of me in it. But um, I was originally saving the sister like as a single mother um, plot for a potential sequel. But then she got boosted in this one um, because the other character got the boot. So, um, so yeah, now I'm, now I have a whole new concept um that is a quirky kind of rom-com comedy with two gay characters as the romance but not necessarily as like the primary leads because there's a lot happening in it so very excited to like kind of dig into that story um and figure out that but like it's exhausting um I like feel like there's a lot of pressure you do well on your first one and then you're just like oh I have to deliver for my next um no, no sophomore slump no sophomore slump. I mean I don't even know so yeah but otherwise um and um I was gonna ask you have you ever watched the tv show crazy ex-girlfriend no I did it was on my like need to check it out sometime list and I just things okay just well always. it's one of the most brilliant shows ever written um, Rachel Bloom is a genius, mm-hmm. the creator and star of that show. I did a rewatch all of it. And one of my like good friends is that is like her daily Bible. Um, she loves that show more than life. And um, touching on what you said about working in retail, there is a plot point in the first um, season where one of the main characters wants a job at this like gaming. He doesn't know what he's doing with like his life and work and he needs a job. And then he finds out that um, this game, like tech circuit city type store essentially is hiring. And he's like, but like, that's his go-to happy place as a customer where he just like sits there. It's called yeah. like Aloha's. It's like a Hawaiian themed electronics store. And he like shows up there and just sits in the, like sits in the chairs and plays video games at the store. Like he treats it like kind of like yeah. his, second home and then he finds out that they're hiring and like this is my dream job i get to talk about electronics all day to people are you kidding and that store encouraged that behavior so i just think it's funny that like the contrast as we talked about in last holiday where they just like yeah disregard that this tv show touched on that idea of working in retail and like being excited about what you're selling and what you're doing so you probably would have liked in college working at aloha's it's fake but it's well, in west uh, and chuck the buy more look like a fun place so yeah um, best of bad so yeah 
but yeah, I recently rewatched all of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So um, really just a, a my, wonderful show. My list. Maybe catch up over the holiday season. Yeah. If you love musical theater, like it's okay. a, it, it's, it's a lot of, it's a musical TV show too, but it's, a, it's self-aware, but it's also very deep about mental health. So just go in there knowing that it does get heavy and it is like a satire and it has a lot of obscure musical theater references in it too, okay. but it's everything. Anyways. Excellent. Uh, my, it'll be, it'll have been like a couple weeks now, like when this airs since I saw it, but since I did, one Ridley Scott movie the previous episode. I'm going to do the other one, this one, with House of Gucci. I have to, I can't say who or what or whatever, but had a, I didn't, I was, because of a, um, having to be quarantined in my home uh, situation, I wasn't able to get out to see it in the theater, but one of my critic friends who knew my situation lent me his screener pass to watch it, so I was able to check it out the House of Gucci, which is a, um... It's a fun movie. I think The Last Duel is the better one of the Weirdly Scott ones. But, it, I mean, this movie delivered what it was selling, pretty much, like from the trailers and stuff. Have you seen House of Gucci? I haven't. And okay. I'm not going to say why I'm not particularly wanting to see it. But I will say, I recently read that before Lady Gaga was cast in the part, Angelina was offered the role. Oh, weird. Angelina, yeah. Um, I would have seen it immediately had that been the case. I've been like, what now? But um, but yeah, I, I I haven't seen it. I mean, I probably will. I keep hearing it's basically a Lifetime movie, and I love those. Yeah, so. yeah, that would be accurate. I mean, it's having fun. It's not taking it. Like, I was stunned at how ridiculous some of the Italian is in it. That they were like, like Jared Leto comes off on this movie as if he is in spite of and like lost out the part of Mario in the Super Mario Brothers movie to Chris Pratt. Like that's how we go. He's like, oh, my, oh, my. like I'm like, what? Like go, what? Okay, sure. Uh, Gaga's fun. She's cartoony. Um, I kind of like that. Uh, at, you know, Adam Driver's is putting the word. Like I was talking to somebody this week uh, about how of big name male actors, I think, I probably love the choices of Adam Driver and calling him actor, but you know he is uh, Batista. They keep oh yeah the way they choose their they they choose to work with interesting direct like they're gonna have great careers when you look back on. They may not be in like these big box office things, but I like that the choices they're making a lot. They're, they they want to work with people, and I have a feeling Batista is going to blow us away with a film he directs one day. Just watch. He's working with very interesting... He's working with Denis Villeneuve. He works... He's. I mean, I can't, now I'm blanking, but he's picking direct... And usually when they're doing that, they want to direct later on, and they're learning from the best. So I have a feeling, and we shouldn't be surprised, maybe some indie film that's just like some drama we're not expecting from the guy, and it gets, oh! But I, I, just the way these guys are picking their projects, I'm just like, yeah check out what you're doing but yeah how's it gucci it's it's fun I, I i don't think it's like a we'll see where the oscars go with things i don't know if it's i can see it being luring for them but it's it's more of a goofy like afternoon at the movies type thing than it is like prestige that's but, what i keep kind of hearing about it and i'm i'm intrigued i know lady gaga won an award some random award now that award season started um so her name's like popping around 
but given the mixed critical reaction to it, it might not really. I think there's stronger contenders for awards this year, and um, West Side Story being one yeah, of them. Yeah. Um, which I mean, I wouldn't. I would be surprised if Rachel and Ariana didn't get nominated for that movie for Best Actress and Best Supporting for it. I don't know if he will for Tony Ansel maybe. But I mean, uh, like, they'll, I think, they'll stay away from Ansel. They, yeah, I, th- I mean, given his history, I don't think he will. And he he's not the strongest part of the movie, but he works in it. Um, well, but you know what? There's not really anyway. So, no. yeah. Um, but um, actually, I'm curious to know, have you heard much? Because I keep hearing so much about it and I don't know much about it. You might read Rocket. I watched the trailer. Have you heard anything? It's just like getting one. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. He's come like he's coming out with like a vengeance as like this actual now like taken seriously legitimate actor. Like mm-hmm. now suddenly he's like on everybody's radar is like, what? Where have you been holding out all these years is doing these kind of like slapsticky things from the 2000s of like what scary what, movies what, uh, MTV BJ back in the and day. like he did the porn gay porn for a bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was gay porn even at the time. Um, did I look that up? Maybe I did. Um <laughs> So, I mean, like, it just, it's so, like, force a habit, like, curiosity, but, like, I respect, um, but I respect his work, and I enjoyed him in his, like, scary movie things and his other comedy things back in the day, so I never didn't look at him as an actor, and I don't look at him doing porn as a not, speaking of, and I know this is another tangent, but I am, like, blown away by the amount of movies this year i saw a buzzfeed list of the amount of movies that had male frontal nudity in them, and, like, aggressive male frontal nudity in them. It apparently is. There's a movie on Shutter that just came out called like Violation, and they, yeah, they. I'm just like, oh, interesting. And then we had like Netflix shows that had some like frontal, and I'm just like, all right, now like it's just it's it's fascinating to me that that's becoming like a new. Well, that's track. like what's well, funny. Like me and a friend of mine, uh, for a guest on the show, Katie Wright from the AV Club, we like to point out that you can tell. Uh, like horror movies are a European production because up oh, there's a penis. Yep, must be European somewhere in the financial line. But yeah, but that's how you could tell. But yeah, they they are. I think they're just pushing that. I think in America we're trying to get over that hump of we're okay with guns blasting people, but show some sex and it's because oh, uh, I just I just recently did a commentary for The Matrix Reloaded and we were talking about this scene that fucking broke America. Uh, the beginning with the uh, Trinity and Neo sex scene while there is a celebration going on to dancing and techno music. And it just blew people up like, what is this weird thing? It's just like, oh, America. <laughs> well, I mean, I remember when it was like when Kevin Bacon in the early 2000s was all over because in like two Wild movies. Things, in yeah. Year. Well, no, that and in um, and Hollow Man. Oh, yeah. Showed, oh, yeah. It's in both movies. But like Wild Things. If I mean that would be one movie I could talk about forever. It's one of my favorite movies too. Love that movie. And I'll just give a teaser to this whole thing. I saw it in theaters. I was quite young, and my mom was on like a blind date. Oh, when I saw that movie. So that just leads you there. And um, speaking to what you just said about like male nudity becoming more normalized um, in America because we have guns blasting. My dad's entire philosophy, like when I was growing up, was like always and this kind of ties in but i'll save this story if we ever do bordello of blood 
but um, he was always fine. He never had an issue with me seeing movies with nudity, but he was definitely way more aware of when violence was shown in movies. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't care if there's a naked person because the naked person's a naked person. We all are naked at some point, but like the violence is what he was like more skeptical about. Mm-hmm. Um, me going to see when I wanted to see a movie, he would watch it before me to make sure that it wasn't too thing. But if it had a lot of nudity and he was like, there was not a lot of violence, he'd be like, it's fine. But if it was violence, he would maybe be on the fence about it. So, um, but and then you would go, wait, but you saw Bordello of Blood in theaters? Well, that's a story for another time <laughs> because that is a very violent movie <laughs> and one he did not see before he took me to it as a like 12 year old. I want, I mean, I don't, when did that movie come out? Like 98? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I was like 12. Yeah, so moral of the story is I saw that in theaters as a 12-year-old with my dad. Gotcha. Yeah, so. Back um, back when back when Dennis Miller used to make us laugh. Yeah, well, my dad tried to get me into Showgirls in theaters, but it was NC-17, and even with the oh, parent, they, well, yeah, they, would, they yeah. refused to let me in there. And my dad was so annoyed with that because then when it came out on, like, VHS, um, we watched it. And he was like, I don't see what the big deal is. It's just a bunch of people naked dancing. Like he did not. I mean, yeah, the rape scene was awful, but they got revenge. So in that respect, he was like, yeah, don't mess with people or else we're going to kill you. Like it was just, it was just not a big deal to him because it was like, I don't understand why that got an NC-17 movie. Yet these other horror movies where people are getting brutally like dismantled and yet they're rated R. So that just goes to show you like kind of where his head was at. So he was ahead of the curve when it came to stuff. I, like- I, I try to do that with my kids. Like I, if like there's like nudity or like, I just, I don't say a thing. And yeah. people are like, what about, I'm like, if I draw attention to it, I don't want him to mentally think I'm shielded like, or that's bad. So when he has a life experience, like he's guilt, feels some sort of guilt about it. Like there's yeah. no, but like, they're like, Oh, but I'm like, but I'm supposed to be okay when the, guy shoots somebody or stabs someone later on like that's i'm more worried about that and i talked yeah. to him i talked to him about those things more than that because i'm like it's it's boobs it's butts it's penises like we all have them on feel we shouldn't be aff- like afraid of like our own bodies or looking at someone else's and like i wouldn't like sure like a female or male male form if it forms arousal but he'll know how to control himself better having just you know i don't know i just don't see the big deal well that's (laughs) the thing is like like it's very healthy and natural to experience naked body at some point in your life not like as a child but like at some point you are going to encounter it like like somebody taking a chainsaw to another human is not something that you ever want to or plan to encounter ever so like that's the difference is like one of them it is just the nudity of it is something that will be encountered even in locker rooms in other situations. Like you yeah. never know it's going to happen beaches, wherever it just might happen. walking down the street. I saw somebody in LA the other day walking naked and I'm in like not appropriate, but it happens. There could have been kids around. It's still like, it's going to happen. But like, I've never walked down the street and seen somebody like get killed with a chainsaw, but you see it in movies all the time and you don't want them to remember the chainsaw killing and not the nudity. Right. So right. Yeah. It is interesting. It is very interesting again. And like, that is something that my dad was very much like a proponent of like kind of understanding the distinction between like what is more natural it's but like again nudity the way it's portrayed if it's not like exploitative it, if it's not forced i mean if he if it was forced in movies he really didn't want me to necessarily right. see it I think there was still a line it wasn't just like oh nudity's fine in any form on t-. like no that wasn't what he was doing by any stretch it just depended on like 
Kevin Bacon showing his dick and wild things was not a like was not a big deal at all, mm-hmm. despite the fact that it like was the biggest headline for a moment. But like certain movies that have nudity and just brutal intentions are not something he would allow me to see. No. And if you tuned in for the la- for last holiday, I hope you enjoyed this extra bit <laughs> of stuff. I will say one last thing about like Gucci and Lady Gaga, and I hate to be like. This is mean about but like you know she's going for the egot she wants that oscar that's that's her career right now she wants the egot but like i hope she gets the an oscar one day but i hope it's like like i want to dicaprio her i want to see her hungry oh. and going um, and going and going and we will get so much good stuff from her being hungry for it because i think she's got potential to be pretty great so um she just got cast as um in a huge a huge thing coming up i want to say she just got cast as a lead in a biop in a martin scorsese film oh okay yeah yeah um i don't with good people too yeah no she is i mean like she's got um so yeah she's got a lot going on so um yeah i i mean i'll 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 I'll, i i i agree with you on the dicaprioing her because Mm. i just feel like she's sometimes I respect her work ethic. I respect what she does, but sometimes I feel like it's getting forced down our throats and I want, I want to breathe a little bit with her. Right. I just, that's the only thing about it is it's like, I don't really like everybody just basically like sticking her on this like grand pedestal, like let her just give her room to breathe. Like she's exploring, she's trying new things. Right. Let's just see how that works. Let's not just basically say that everything she touches is gold and we have to find a reason to say it's, like great and glorify it and all the above just let her experiment let her explore because yeah so that's that's my only thing about her that i'll just say so i'm curious to see how her acting career evolves i mean i think she's definitely making bold choices and that is a great thing for a director Mm -hmm. and i think everybody that i've heard who has worked with her or things that i've read um has said she's wonderful to work with so for that i respect everything about it and I'm okay with it um, that she's getting opportunities. If she's going to treat people well, then yeah. then give work all away. to her. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's like, I mean, and at least she has some talent. That's kind of like um, my, my always joke with like Addie McDowell, um, Andy mm-hmm. McDowell, I mean, who isn't necessarily the best actress, but she was a, like for a period of time was in every movie. And you're just like, why? And because everybody said she's just absolutely like the best person to work with. So they just stuck her in everything. But she's kind of just like, mm, really? Yeah, like, okay. Of, I mean, she she was she was in Sex Lies and Videotape that kind of like yeah. busted her out. And then you want to work with the girl from the, the movie. And Soderbergh can get something out of somebody that other people might not be able to. And then she sort of just, yeah, there's. Yeah, she's. She, yeah, I, 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 yeah, she's not the finest performer there. Is. Like she'd fit. We're talking about Hallmark movies. She would be a good supporting person in one of those casts. Perfectly fit right in. Like, no. Um, but it, it depends on the the director too. Yeah, but she was in for a period like major motion pictures and like Hog Day, Michael. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. On like, um, the Muse, which is a brilliant movie, which I love with Sharon Stone. Um. I love that movie so much. Um, I love a lot of movies. Anyway, so tangents. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, it's all good. But uh, yeah, so that'll finish us up here for this uh, wonderful <laughs> conversation. Greg, thank you for so much for coming back, giving me not one, but like two movies to fill out my December discussions. So that's much appreciated. Uh, but let people one last time, time know where they can keep up with you and where they can find your book. 
All right. Um, so you can find me on social media at the McGoonies. So the McGoonies, M C G O O I E or M C G O O N I S McGoonies. And um, that's Instagram. I'm mostly active on Twitter, like gives me anxiety, but I will respond. Um, and then you can go to my website, gregmagoon.com. It has all my books um, and you can find most of them where books are available, um, except for the latest Once Upon a Fairy Tale, which is Amazon only ebook and um, paperback. So, yeah. Okay, excellent. And I am on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD, written work on YSOBlue.com. There's more from the Brandon Peters Show this week. But until then, stay film positive. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.